the grace of God. He was the grace of God in human form. And He came to this earth to show man the way back to the Father, to restore that severed relationship. The grace of God, Paul says, has shined upon all men, has been extended to all men. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Okay, and so it says the grace of God teaches us. Now we see right away what it teaches us. It teaches us that we need to deny ungodliness, deny worldly lusts, and that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And we also need to have a perspective where we're looking forward, we're anticipating the return of Christ. But how? And I have two words. It's about passion and it's about perspective. And when I say passion, I'm saying passion with a capital P. Passion of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about how does grace teach us? It teaches us by focusing on what Jesus Christ did on my behalf and what that means. What Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary on my behalf and what that means. Secondly is perspective. How does grace teach us? It teaches us by perspective. How I view and understand and then subsequently live out that truth means everything. Brothers, it is foundational, absolutely foundational to the way we live our, live our lives, to the way we lead in our homes, in our congregations, in our businesses, how we relate to our wives, our children, our church members, you name it. Grace teaches us by showing us in breathtaking form what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. We read in Romans 5, while we were sinners, while we were without strength, when we were yet enemies, I wasn't an enemy. Oh, yes, you were. You were opposed to God's way of doing things. You were kicking against the pricks. We are by nature, you know, the children of wrath, but God. While we were yet without strength, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. And then grace teaches us in this way. You know, to grasp the grace of God, dear men, is to gain a life-changing perspective. 
that sees the magnificent glory and holiness and the immense love of God. And in stark contrast to that, to see my utter wretchedness and my unworthiness and springing out of that, resulting will be awe and worship and a consecrated life. Let's consider yet this morning the power of grace exemplified in a man's life. We're not going to talk so much about what marks a godly man, although you may think there's a similarity. We're talking more about the power of grace. You see, it's a different perspective. We're talking about the power of grace that is exemplified in a man's life. And I say once again, when a man has truly been grasped by the grace of God, he will never be the same. Flowing out of that vision, that understanding of who God is and what He has done through His Son Jesus Christ will come these characteristics. It's about having first things first. What does God's grace look like in my life? A godly man, first of all, is surrendered to the Savior. A godly man is surrendered to the Savior. Who are you surrendered to? Who is calling the shots in your life? What makes you tick? Let me just begin by stating the obvious here. and That is that it is impossible to be a godly man without having an authentic salvation experience. What do I mean by authentic? I mean it has changed you. It has transformed you from the inside out. You have acknowledged. You have confessed your sin. You have accepted by faith God's free gift of grace. You have handed over the keys to your life to Jesus Christ. You are no longer your own. You are not serving self anymore. But you are serving a new master. You realize and you now live out of this reality that Jesus Christ has purchased you with his own precious blood. God has a claim on your life. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And flowing out of that voluntary authentic experience of surrender comes a new heart, a new hunger, new habits in life. And yes, praise the Lord, there's even a new home reserved for us. Once again, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. I mean, folks, this is, this is reality. 
old things are passed away. If you are in Christ, here it is. This is your position. Behold, all things are made new. Are you living within that reality? Are you claiming that? Do you have faith that, that God has done that? Do you have faith that God can do that? Or do you still struggle with, well, I don't feel like a Christian. Well, I feel like I did this. Well, I don't know. Oh, man. I... Believe. Believe. Are you trying to save yourself? A godly man is surrendered to the Savior. Secondly, a godly man is submitted to the Scriptures. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. A godly man is submitted to the Scriptures. Verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, or it's God-breathed, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The godly man lives his life in accordance to the word of God. It is his guide in all matters, great and small. And brothers, I want to challenge you with this. We must constantly challenge all of our perspective, all of our passions, all of our priorities with this criteria. Does it bring glory to God? Does it bring glory to God? And we find the answer to that question and all other questions in the Word of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that answer, does it bring glory to God? My perspectives, my priorities, my passions. Do you believe that those answers are all found in here? Now, you, you may not be able to find a certain verse that says thus and thus, but the principles are in God's Word. The principle is there that is applicable to all the questions that we may have. And then we have a decision to make. How will you respond to the Word of God? Who informs who? Who informs who? You see, the Word of God is always the final authority in a godly man's life. A godly man lives confidently and yet humbly under the banner of truth. And when truth is challenged, whether it's by tradition or by the status quo or otherwise, the godly man will stand unashamedly for truth. He will stand for truth. In fact, the godly man does not have to defend himself. Truth will take care of itself. 
Why? Why will this godly man stand for truth? Well, the scripture says in the Psalms, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. In other words, it is proven. It is flawless. A godly man is submitted to the scriptures. But along with that, a godly man is also a student of the scriptures. You see, through his respect and his zeal for God's word, he learns how to handle it carefully, and he learns how to handle it correctly. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you know how to handle truth correctly? Do you? Do you know how to handle it correctly? Are you able to teach it? Are you able to discuss it? Are you able to defend it? Are you able to share it with confidence? And I'm saying this not just to you young fellows, but to you older men as well. Do you know how to handle it correctly? And if not, why not? If you are not able to confidently stand up front and share the word, why not? What is keeping you from that? Because we're all well aware that you can confidently talk about other things. We all know that you have invested deeply in other things. Why can't you stand up and confidently and accurately expound the Scripture? Is it possible that it has something to do with our priorities in life? And I just... I just ask these questions with a burden on my heart. Where are the men who seek to know the Bible like the back of their hand? Where are those men? Where are the men who are willing to be mediocre in their hobbies in order to be a champion of the Word of God? Where are those men? And I'm burdened this morning because while so many of our men are so disciplined and so skillful in the things of this life, whether it be their businesses, whether it be their hobbies, whether it be their financial investments, they are so undisciplined and unskilled in understanding the things that really matter and in handling the Word of God. Don't ask them to have a topic at church. Don't ask them to lead out in that cottage meeting. I don't know how to do that. I'm not good at that. I never learned. God help us. And then we wonder why we're struggling. And then we wonder why our homes are shaky. May God help us to first and foremost invest in the things that are eternal. Thirdly, then, a godly man is sensitive to the Spirit. A godly man is sensitive to the Spirit. Let me suggest that there's no greater power in the world today than the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people. When the Spirit is alive and well, powerful things happen in people and in churches. 
You should never have to wonder what's going on in that person's life. You should never have to wonder what's going on in that church or in that conference or fellowship. It should be obvious. Either they have the Spirit or they don't. Is that being too bold? Maybe they just need more of the Spirit. (laughs) Okay? Maybe they need more. Amen. I need more. In Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus promised the disciples... And ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Ye shall receive power, dunamis, literally force. Ye shall receive force, energy, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Martus, it's where we get our word martyr. Did you know that there's a direct connection between Holy Spirit power and being a candidate for martyrdom? Yeah. There is. I want you to notice the order, though, in that verse. Holy Ghost, power, witness. That didn't just happen, okay? (laughs) No, it's there for a reason. That's how it works. It doesn't work any other way. Holy Ghost, power, witness. I'm afraid today that too many of us don't have enough Holy Spirit in us to be considered a convincing candidate for martyrdom. Yeah. Think about that. So it goes then without saying that we don't have much power either. And then that explains why our Christian life is often kind of dull and ineffective. And you're thinking, well, yeah, I... I didn't think the Christian life was supposed to be like this. It wasn't, okay? The Christian life isn't supposed to be like that. Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The Christian life is a life of power that flows out of a powerful God. And so, dear brothers, we must regularly cry out to God, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, give me a greater measure You see, here's the deal. The measure of the Holy Spirit poured into our lives is poured in proportion to our faith. In proportion to our faith. And so we must cry out, Lord, increase my faith. I want to grow in you. I need more of your spirit. I want to be more sensitive to that still small voice. I want to hear you. And we realize that closely connected to that is also denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Those things dull our hearing. And too many of us are too completely consumed with the things of this world, and then we can't understand why we can't hear the Spirit, and we can't understand why we're powerless. Duh. We must cry out to God. Once again, powerful things happen when men are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, Philip was led by the Spirit to carry out a non-traditional method of evangelism. The angel of the Lord came to him and said, Arise and go into the desert. And he went. And the Spirit of the Lord said to him, Go near and join thyself to the chariot. 
And Philip said, ah, I'm not sure that our conference supports shared evangelism. I mean, we've never done it that way. What will the other fellowships around us, what will they think if they see our guys investing in shared evangelism? God, help us. No, the scripture says that Philip said he ran. He responded to the Spirit by running. That's obedience. That's surrender. Acts chapter 10, we read about where Peter had a vision that not only changed his life, but changed his ministry, and it changed the mission of the church forever. Arise and eat. Oh, no, not so, Lord. That's unclean. Boy, wasn't he changed when he came to that understanding and when he obeyed, was sensitive to the Spirit. Now I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But that salvation, in essence, he's saying, is made available to all people. doesn't matter what nation you're from. What about you, brothers? How will your story go? One day there's going to be a story about you. How will your story go? Lastly, then, a godly man is sanctified to serve. Sanctification is that ongoing, continual process of being molded more and more into the image of Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing process. Praise God. At least it is for me. Is it for you? Okay, so I'm not unique. It is for me. It's that ongoing process. And I ask you, though, are you allowing this purging process to take place in your life? Are you allowing it to take place in your life? 2 Timothy chapter 2, just turn back a page there, uh, verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, these latter ones, the dishonorable ones, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Now turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I want to notice one verse, verse 12. And this is a verse that shows how the grace of God is exemplified in a man's life. This truly, brothers, is the fruit of sanctification. 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And it lists six things. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I say this is the fruit of sanctification. Paul says, be an example in your speech, logos. He is speaking specifically about how you speak, the words you speak. Be an example in how you speak. Secondly, be an example in conversation or in your conduct, in the way you live your life. Thirdly, be an example in charity, agape, brotherly love. Be an example in brotherly love. Fourthly, be an example in spirit, in fervor in enthusiasm, in energy, in passion, be an example. 
Fifthly, be an example in faith. Pistis. Be an example in conviction for the truth. Be an example in that way. And then sixth, be an example in purity. And that's speaking specifically of sexual purity. Be an example in that. I say this is the fruit of sanctification, a powerful verse. A verse that really is, shows us some pillars of a godly man, you could say. Well, it's time to bring this to a close. Brothers, we are living in troubling days. The truth has never been under attack as it is in these days. Not only outside, but within as well. And God is looking for men to stand in the gap and to fight bravely for Christ and the church. The church is looking for men who are surrendered to the Savior, who are submitted to the Scriptures, who are sensitive to the Spirit, who are sanctified to serve. God is calling you. God is calling you. What will you do? Are you available? Are you willing? Can the Lord depend on you? What makes a godly man? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. May we be men of God. By the grace of God. Through the power of God. For the glory of God. God bless you, brothers.